Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And then once you find that, if you have a physical Bible, uh, hold your finger there and you can turn to 1 Peter, or 1 John chapter 4. This series all in the family, uh, we're using a uh, dual texts to, uh, to get into it. And as we read God's word, I'd ask you to stand with me. 1 Peter 4, 7, 8 says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. In 1 John 4, verses 18 and 19, say, there, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. You may be seated. Once again, thanks for coming out today. We, as we... As we uh, move through, and I apologize, I, I always feel, I don't feel good about sitting while I preach, but I, I'm at that point right now where I really have to, um, so I may, um, anyway. Um, but I want to thank you all for being here. Uh, we're seeing more and more people come out, and I'm so thankful that uh, you are venturing out, uh, the first service and the second service combined, uh, all, great, great groups, and I'm uh, so thankful that you're willing to come out and join, and as we continue to open things up, we're going to stay with two services. Those of you who are watching on Facebook and YouTube, I'll let you know this as well. We're going to be staying with two services probably through the summer. Uh, people just feel more uh, feel more comfortable right now, uh, and I understand that. Uh, it doesn't really matter. One one thing I've learned in in my life and in, in my time as a leader, and those of you who lead different things in life. Uh, can probably, uh, can probably connect with this. It doesn't really matter how I feel about something. Uh, I, can, I can have my own opinion and I can have my own desire and my own feelings on the matter, but that doesn't mean everybody's going to follow it. So uh, we are going to stay with two services through the summer because just pe some people feel, uh, feel more comfortable that way, and that's fine. Um, but we are going to be doing some things as... As society reopens, I know Connecticut opened up yesterday. A lot of Connecticut opened up yesterday, and they're going to be opening up everything. I guess Connecticut's going to be open completely May 19th. You're just going to have to wear a mask indoors. Um, Massachusetts, I, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, I know the governor is talking August 1st, but we're going to be doing more and more things that bring the church family together. Uh, we're going to be having the 4th of July weekend. We're going to be having a, um, a, a church lunch or potluck cookout, something like that. It's a shame to have this many chefs in a church and not eat as much as possible. So uh, we'll be doing that. But we'll be letting you know more about that. And I'm just thankful that you are willing to come out and, and be part. Now, we're in this series, uh, All in the Family. We're talking about what makes a good, solid Christian family. Today, let me, let me just back up for one second and say this. I'm not really concerned about what society says when it comes to the topic we're talking about. We're not looking, about, not looking at the definition of anything according to society. What we're looking at in this series, All in the Family, is what the Bible says about a godly Christian family what the Bible says about a Christian home and a Christian marriage. That's what we're concerned about. So we're not here to debate 
society. We're not here to debate um, philosophical ideas from out there. What we're wanting to do is look at what the Bible has to say about biblical family, biblical marriage, biblical child raising, uh, things like that, and get some understanding about how we as individuals, as Christians, need to live our lives and build our homes and especially build our marriages. And as I said um, back at the, the first week when we started this, in a, in a family, the number one relationship is the marriage. The, very, the, the number one relationship in a family is the marriage. Therefore, that should be the relationship that we put most of our effort into. That should have a lot of our attention. And I know that's very difficult as time goes on, as you have children, as you build careers, as life just happens, sometimes other things take, want to push their way in and take priority. And sometimes it's difficult to give a relationship, especially a marriage relationship, the time it needs. But as we go through this series, I hope that you will see and hear it's very important principles and truths about Christian marriage and godly marriage that will spur you into realizing that if it is the number one relationship in the home, then it needs to be the number one relationship in your life. So far in this series, All in the Family, we started off uh, with covering the first pillar of a strong marriage. We talked about that last week. And it's the pillar of personal faith. We're, we're coming at the, a strong marriage from the perspective of four different pillars, building on four different pillars. And the first one was the pillar of, of personal faith. And we talked about why it's not just important, but absolutely vital that each spouse in a marriage be personally committed to a strong walk with Jesus Christ. In a marriage, it is vitally important, a Christian marriage, that each spouse be committed to a strong walk with Jesus Christ. And it's important that we understand and practice the habits that come with that. A strong commitment to the Bible, respect for your spouse, and unwavering honesty. And I back up one, one moment to that one respect for your spouse. Gentlemen, I think in our society, I mean, it's no, it, it, it's no lie, no, no surprise that American society is in an uproar and is upheaval over this last year plus. Uh, there's just been so much going on in so many different directions. Uh, the race issue in America is, is, is finally, I, I believe, finally being addressed. Now, you can agree or disagree with how people are going about doing it, but I believe that it's finally being given at least a a forefront uh, place in society right now, and it's being addressed, and, and it's finally being given the respect it needs, not the respect it deserves, but the respect it needs to bring our nation to a place where we understand that people are equal, that equality is vitally important in this society. I have conversations with people uh, about a lot of different things, and I told you last year when I preached my series on race, I told you that race was not something that was going to go away in our church. It was going to be something we, in the, in, at New Life, we, it's something we have, to, we have to face, we have to reconcile with. We are a, a church that is, I think probably now we're about 60-40. We're, we're one of the most, we're one of the most multicultural churches in the area. 
uh, as far as um, different skin tones, okay? Um, so it's important, I believe, that we, we address those issues and face those issues. But sometimes when I talk with people, I'll have, uh, I'll have someone say to me, uh, you know, black people haven't really had it that bad in this country. <laughs> and my response is, you really can't be that stupid. Seriously, if you don't think there's a problem, if you don't think there's been a problem, then you're just not paying attention. And in our area, especially, um, we have lots of people in our congregation who are Puerto Rican. And for those of you who don't, don't know much about this area, Puerto Ricans, I'm just going to be honest with you, Puerto Ricans are people who are blamed for the downfall of Springfield, Massachusetts, right? That's what it, Melvin, Melvin's lived here all his life, absolutely, right? That's, 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 that is the dumbest thing you could ever say because the backbone of, of Springfield and the Springfield economy, it, and I'm not getting into a whole governmental thing, I'm, there, there is a point to this. The backbone of Springfield is people of color, people of different ethnicities, small businesses, mom and pop shops that are owned by people of color and Latin, Latino people. So they have built this city, not torn it down. All they want is respect. That's all they want, respect. I say that to say this, there has been an amazing movement, uh, women's movement in this country. And you can like it or not, you can agree with it or not, I don't really care, that's not the point. What I'm trying to bring out here, gentlemen, is this. What your wife wants, for, one of the things your wife wants from you is your respect. She wants your respect that she is valuable to the home, that she does as much as you do in the home, that she contributes as vitally and as importantly as you. Sometimes we as men think because uh, our wives, some, some wives stay home and work, uh, stay home and take care of the children, we think that we're more important because we are the breadwinner of the home. Well, okay, if that's the way you want to see it, then you're blind to truth because we're not going to get into that whole thing. But suffice it to say, what your wife would like from you is for you to respect her contribution to the home. The fact that your children are not out at the age of four, not out robbing grocery stores, is probably because your wife stays home with them. Okay? Respect is something that is vital. We learned that last week. In a time in history when marriage is going out of style and being given less respect and, and less respect is being given to the biblical definition and concept of marriage, it makes it, I believe, exponentially important that followers of Jesus know what the Bible has to say about marriage, that we have an understanding of our roles and responsibility to the marriage and have a personal plan for their own preparation and active implementation of biblical principles in their lives for their marriage. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever, have you ever sat down and thought about what your plan is to be successful in marriage? Or do you just, you're just wing it? it it's a, who, who was that living, saying living on a prayer? Bon Jovi, right? Bon Jovi, living on a prayer. It's after my time. Oh, not very, I, I can't say before my time anymore. It was after my time. Or do you just 
spend your time in marriage living on a prayer. Oh, we're just going to wing it. Listen, anything that's going to be successful and anything that's worth, worth working at is worth having a plan for. So what's your plan for your marriage? What's your plan for your contribution as a spouse, as a husband, and as a wife? What is your plan? For those of you who aren't married yet, those of you who are looking to get married, those of you who are uh, single parents, what is your plan to be successful in the home? What is your plan to prepare yourself for marriage? Do you have a plan? I believe it's vital as Christians that we do have a plan. And we don't just have a plan for our marriage. We have a plan to actively implement that plan. It's vital that Christians protect their marriage. Protect your marriage in the way that God intended it and not give in to the ways of the world outside of the church. And that's why we're talking about the four pillars of marriage. Because I believe it's important. I believe a strong church is built on strong families. A strong church that reaches its community for the gospel, with the gospel of Jesus Christ is a church that is built on strong families. Strong families are built on strong marriages. I think the saddest thing to see is when children are grown and finally leave the home, that a married couple has nothing in common. And that married couple doesn't really know each other. That they don't really understand each other. And they have different pursuits and different desires. And they drift apart and their marriage ends in divorce. So we're talking about these four pillars of marriage because that's what we should be building on. Selena Frederick said, a strong marriage isn't magically built when you say, I do. It's built on a lifetime of I do's. I do love you. I do cherish you. I do choose you. I think that's something we need to remind ourselves of every day. There's a reason why you married that person. There's a reason why they captured your heart. Sometimes, I know in our home it's true, I drive my wife crazy. She gets, I, I frustrate her very easily, and it's just who I am. I try to work on it, I try to change, but it's just, that's, that's just part of our personalities. But I hope there are times when my wife says, you know what, that annoying old bald guy is the one I fell in love with, and he's the one I chose. So I am going to work and look beyond those things that annoy me and make this marriage last. I have very few things about her that I can say that about, but I have to look beyond those as well. And we all do, because we have to remember that there's a reason why we fell in love with them. There's a reason why we chose them. And the reason, there's a reason why we committed to them. Brie Lamb said this, Marriage is not ultimately for us, but for the Lord. And anyone who's ever walked with Jesus knows just how much of a target you become when your lives are rooted in faith. Let me stop in the middle of that right there. As Christians, as married Christians, as married Christians who attend a church, as married Christians who attend a church that is evangelistic and wants to reach its community for Jesus Christ, you are a target for Satan. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He will do whatever it takes. He will play dirty. 
He will fight dirty. He will be underhanded. He will not obey. He, he makes the WWE look like a Saturday morning cartoon. He will fight dirty. That's wrestling, by the way. For those of you who don't know, it's fake wrestling. So. Satan wants to destroy your marriage. He's going to attack your marriage. He's going to attack you. He's going to do everything. He's going to find where you're weak. Gentlemen, he's going to find where you're weak, and he's going to exploit it. Ladies, he's going to find out what annoys you about your husband, and he's going to exploit it. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants, listen, we, we have two sons, one of Gabriel and Michael. Michael wakes up in the morning loving bluebirds and sunshine and rainbows. Michael is a morning person. He's much like his father. I'm a morning person. Gabriel, on the other hand, would be just fine if morning started at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. He's a grouch. He is a grouch's grouch. Gabriel is just, wow. Mornings are not his thing. Mornings are not even close to his thing. Gabriel's much like his mom. So mornings are a challenge. Even in mornings, even in situations where you are diametrically opposed and, and polar opposites, those are times when you have to realize that if I allow that to annoy me, if I allow that to get under my skin, Satan is going to use it to drive a wedge in my home. And those are the things we have to work at. Continuing on with this quote, <clears throat> Mark 10:9 says, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. But that command is a lot easier said than done. If Satan wants to break you, he'll start first by attacking your marriage. If Satan wants to break you, he'll start first by attacking your marriage. That's why it's so vital that we invest our time and effort into making our marriage relationships strong. And it's incredibly important that we as Christians build our marriage relationships strong on the foundation of the word of God. That brings us to pillar number two that we should be building on. The second pillar of a strong marriage is the pillar of personal accountability. Personal accountability. The need for this pillar in a successful marriage, I think should be obvious. Okay, it should be obvious that well, why we need personal accountability, not just in our lives, but in our marriage. But because of selfishness, arrogance, and impulsiveness, many times those things get in the way and they cloud our judgment. Temptation and lust blind us to the vital importance of purity and bring us to the point of a terrible and destructive decision. And you know, any time we talk about lust in marriage relationships, it always goes to members of the opposite sex. Anytime we talk about faithfulness in a marriage, it always goes to relationships with members of the opposite sex. And that's, listen, folks, especially in today's climate where just about anything goes in relationships, that needs to be an incredibly important part of your life. I had to deal with a situation just this past week where someone, no lie, man, guy came on to my wife over the phone, sent her messages that, I'll just tell you, man. I'll kill for less. I'm not kidding. You don't do that to my wife. 
You don't try to come onto my wife and start a, an illicit affair with my wife. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because I will, at very minimum, at bare minimum, I'll confront you about it. Why? Because I'm an arrogant, egotistical man. No. Because I value my marriage. Because I value my wife. I don't want to lose my wife. I don't want to lose my marriage. By the way, it was a Christian individual that did this. So don't think, it, don't, don't think that it, you're, it's above anything. Any, anybody is above anything. My marriage is incredibly important to me. Therefore, I will protect it. And if I'm going to protect it enough to where I will confront another individual for being out of line, I'd better build that relationship on the foundation of the word of God so that my wife knows I'm not just talk. So that my wife knows that I'm not just flexing my, my vocal muscles when it comes to standing up. She must know that what I say in public is up goes on in our house by the way I treat her by the way I invest in marriage. gentlemen that's what your wife needs. ladies that's what your husband needs <laughs> I, I never worked in a corporate setting I was always uh, if I wasn't pastoring I was either managing restaurants or working loading docks um, I was, that's just the kind of work I did as I went through school so I never really worked in a corporate setting where the rules are totally different. Most, some of you who work in offices and things like that, um, you know that. The one, of the most, one of the most insane things I've ever heard, I, when, I, I went in, when Aaron was working at healthcare, I went in and they were talking about work wives and work husbands. It only took one visit for me to go to her office to put that to rest. I told somebody, she doesn't even know this, I told somebody, don't ever call my wife your work wife. Don't ever do it. Don't ever do it. I value my marriage enough. And I don't care if you're joking or not, folks. Your spouse has one husband, your, your wife has one husband, your husband has one wife. Not anybody else. Nobody fills that spot. Nobody takes that position. And I know, oh, it's just, it's just a joke. It's just, there are some things you just don't joke about. There are some things that you need to take seriously. And there's some things that your spouse needs to understand that you take that seriously. What do you do in those moments when your commitment is challenged? What do you do in those moments when your faithfulness, when your blinded by temptation, when Satan is attacking and you're struggling, what do you do? What do you do when your resolve is weak? What do you lean on? What is your foundational plan for the defense of your purity? What is your foundational plan for the defense of your marriage? What is your foundational plan for the defense of your integrity and ultimately your relationship with your spouse? Pillar number two, the pillar of personal accountability. What makes up this pillar? What are some, what are some things that, that we can do to be personally accountable in our marriage, in our lives? The first one is this, commitment and faithfulness. If you want to have 
personal accountability in your life, you will commit to be to having a commit uh, a committed mentality in your marriage and faithfulness. You will be committed to your marriage. You will be faithful to your marriage. And we're not listen once again. We need to look beyond simply relationships with other others of the opposite sex. And that is that's a big one. Don't get me wrong. That's a big big issue that we have to watch out for. But you can be unfaithful to your spouse in other areas than just with relate with members of the opposite sex. You can be unfaithful to your spouse. You can be unfaithful to your marriage vows in more ways than just one. So it's incredibly important that we as Christians be committed to our marriage and be committed to faithfulness in our marriage. How do you show it? John Piper said this, staying married, therefore, is not mainly about staying in love. It's about keeping covenant till death do us part or as long as we both shall live is a sacred covenant promise. The same kind Jesus made with his bride when he died for her. I find it very intriguing and, and uh, very interesting that when Jesus talks about the church, he calls us his bride. We are called the bride of Christ. If you have come to a point in your life where you realized you were a sinner, where you know that you could not get yourself to heaven, you couldn't earn heaven, you could not be good enough because the Bible says you can't be good enough. For by grace you're saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The Bible very clearly says that we can't earn our way to heaven. So if, if you've come to that point in your life and you realize that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, we just came through the Easter season where we celebrate the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. The Bible says he overcame death, hell, and the grave. He gained victory over sin, and he paid the price, one sacrifice for sins forever. I think that was the verse, that was, um, it was an Awana verse last Sunday, right? Last Wednesday night. It's one of the Awana verse. uh, Awana verses was about how Jesus, one man by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for they all have sinned. That's one of the verses our kids had learned in Awana last week. And if you've come to that point where you realize that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he paid the price, and all you have to do is pray and ask him to come into your heart, forgive you your sins, and save you, then you're a born-again Christian. And the Bible says that as Christians... We are the bride of Christ. As born-again people, we are now the bride of Christ. And the Bible tells us that after the rapture, when Jesus comes back to take the, the church away, take us to heaven, the Bible says there will be a marriage, marriage supper of the Lamb. There will be a marriage ceremony, a wedding ceremony, where the bride, the church, is presented to her husband, Jesus Christ, the one who died for us. And the way he loves you throughout your life, one of, the, one of my favorite praise songs is, um, Oh, How He Loves Us by Crowder. He loves us. Oh, how he loves it. And just over and over again, he loves us. He loves us. Oh, how he loves And it, we saw him at the Billy Graham crusade. We saw it. We, he sang that live. It was amazing. He loves you. Not only he, did he love you enough to die for you, he loves, enough, he loves you enough to help you live your life every day with strength and power and passion and integrity and character. He loves you enough to give you the strength, to give you the ability, to give you the passion, to give you the wisdom to know how to treat your spouse and how to build a strong, successful marriage. The same way that he loves you, the same investment he makes in you in love is the kind of investment in love that we need to put into our marriage, is the kind of commitment to faithfulness that we need to put into our marriage. How do you do that? How do you show commitment 
and faithfulness in your marriage. Well, the first thing I think you need to do is this. You need to make your spouse your priority. You need to make your spouse your priority. Now, how difficult is that today in today's society? And how counterculture is that? Because today in, in society, it's all about me, 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 me. It's all about getting all you can and canning all you get. It's all about fulfilling yourself, finding your own voice, doing what, doing what you want to do and becoming your person. Listen, the Bible says when you get married, two become one. And we now have a connection. We now have a bond. We now have a relationship. And we are no longer two individuals seeking two different paths. We are two individuals making up one unit, working together for one purpose and one goal. Make your spouse your priority. Husbands, make your wives your number one. Wives, make your husbands your number one. I know it's tough when you have children. I know it's very tough. How many of you thought it was going to be a piece of cake and everything was going to be wonderful and you fell in love and it was so wonderful and it was, you know, the bluebirds were singing and, and uh, Cinderella was running through the neighborhood and everything was going great and it was like a fairy tale. And you thought, well, we can have children because children are just going to be wonderful. Children are just going to add so much to the home. This is going to be fun. And then those babies were born. Well, first of all, ladies, you had to endure the time. For those of you who gave birth to children, you had to endure that time of having that child develop. For us, we had to go through and endure that time of dealing with the government <laughs> to adopt our sons. And that kind of started sobering you up. And then you brought that child home from the hospital. And one wasn't enough for you, so you had to have two. And then you realized you're not that smart. <laughs> then you had three, and some of you just didn't learn your lesson. <laughs> right? My gosh. Man, children challenge a marriage. Can I tell you a secret? Children challenge a marriage. They challenge the intimate relationship between a husband and wife. They challenge the commitment between a husband. Here's something. Children try to divide you. Those devious little so-and-sos, they do. We have twin nine-year-olds, as you all know, and they know that mom and dad don't always, uh, that mom is one sometimes at one end of the house and dad's at the other. And that sometimes, listen, sometimes Aaron will say no to something that I wouldn't really have a problem with because I don't know what's going on, right? I didn't know that, that, some, that Gabriel lipped off to Aaron or that Michael already had five fruit snacks. So they'll come and mom will say, no, that's enough. So they'll come to me. And I've learned, because I'm old, I've learned that I never, ever anymore just say yes. <laughs> it's like, well, did you talk to mom about it? Because those two will try to, and your kids are the same way. Don't act like your kids are perfect. Your kids will do the same thing, man. They'll play mom against dad. And if your kids don't talk yet, get ready. 
I'm telling you, they're going to play mom against dad. And they'll try. Kids will be a challenge to your relationship. As loving, as wonderful as they are. And listen, I wouldn't trade my children for the world. Biggest, biggest compliment, biggest expression of love I give to my sons is that I love them more than the Dodgers. And they're like, really? It's close. But yes. You need to make sure your spouse is your number one above your children. You know the children, it's okay for your kids to have a bedtime. It's okay to put them to bed. It truly is. But they cry. But they tell me they don't love me. Oh, get over it. If they're not teenagers yet, just wait. You're going to hear that a lot. You're so mean. You're the meanest mom in the world. You need to have a t-shirt made that says that and buy yourself a broom so you can walk around saying, that's right. Get yourself a broom and a black hat and walk to school that way. That'll make the teachers sing. <clears throat> Listen, put your kids to bed. Spend time with your spouse. Turn the TV off. Spend time with your spouse. Sometimes even just sitting together in the same room. Aaron and I, Aaron has different pursuits than I do right now. Aaron is going out. I'm so proud of her. She's going, she has a desire to get her PhD. And I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. Aaron, Aaron, wants to, Aaron wants to become a counselor. She wants to counsel uh, people uh, that struggle with substance abuse. And that's one of the biggest ministries we're going to be starting in the, in the future for our church is a mental health ministry because it's so important, so vitally important. And we have people in our church that are trained there. But Aaron wants to do that. You know what? That's not my, it's not my thing, man. I, it's, it's not my area of study. It's not a place that I want to go. Um, but I know my wife. It's important to her. So I invest my time in her studies as well. And I listen to her and I talk with her and I help her, you know, we, we have conversations back and forth because I want to be invested in what she's invested in because I don't want to give her the opportunity. I would, let me rephrase that. I don't want to give Satan the opportunity to drive a wedge between her and me over her education so that she is now pursuing something that I have no part in at all. And it's the same way. She will, she will even, she'll pay attention. She asked me last night. She, I, I, I kind of dozed off on the couch and I was, I had, we had something on TV and I had the Dodgers game on my phone and 20, we we're watching 24. That's right. She's a 24 freak right now. Uh, and I had the Dodgers phone, Dodger game on my phone. And she said, did the Dodgers win? And it was only the third inning. But, but I, but the fact that she even asked that question showed me that she was interested, or at least expressed, wanted me to think she was interested. She made my desires a priority at that point. Folks, listen, if you want to build your marriage, if you want to build commitment and show commitment in your marriage and faithfulness in your marriage, you will make your spouse your number one above everything, above your career, above your buddies, above your girlfriends. You will make that's the women's having girlfriends, not the men. <laughs> you will make your spouse 
your number one. They will be your priority. Mark chapter 8, verses 35 and 36 says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? Long time ago, I started taking this scripture and applying it beyond simply the focus of my life. Because what Jesus is saying there is, if you want to pursue your own passions in life, you will lose your life. But if you will give up your own passions and pursue mine in your life, you will find your life in me. And a long time ago, I started making a secondary application to things in my life and asking myself, what does it profit me to gain the whole world, to gain success in ministry, to gain success in business, to gain success in anything else, but lose my family? Because what can I give in exchange for my family? What does it profit me? What does it benefit me to be successful, to be the most popular guy around, to have all the friends I need to be the, best, the, the most successful in business, yet lose my spouse and lose my marriage? What's more important to you? What will be there when everything else is gone? I think over this last year, we've learned some lessons, haven't we? That not everything is in stone. Not everything will last forever. This last year has changed some parts of life forever. What has survived? What got you through? I know for me, it was my marriage. It was the relationship I have with my wife. Why? Because rather than getting on, and we did, we got on each other's nerves over the last year. There's no doubt about it. We're just like you. But we spent time committing to each other and getting to know each other and look me, looking beyond the struggle and trying to let each other know that we're in this for the long haul. Commitment to your marriage. You know, sometimes the struggle we have is having to win the argument, right? You've got to make your point. You've got to be the one that's right. Can I ask you a question? What does it profit you to be right if it drives a wedge between you and your spouse? Is it really that important? Is it really that important that you get your way? Make your spouse your priority. The second thing that commit, the pillar of commitment and faithfulness is built on is constantly reassuring and expressing your love. Constantly reassuring and expressing your love. Now, in order to do this, in order to practice this principle, you need to know your spouse. I know that Aaron loves flowers. I know that Aaron loves sunflowers and she loves roses. You know who else knows that Aaron loves flowers and loves sun, sunflowers and roses? Big Y. <laughs> because every time I go into Big Y, right there at the door, they have a display that's been made just for me. I, I kid because I care. And in that display are flower arrangements with sunflowers and roses and all kinds of other different flowers that I don't know anything about but smell really nice. And my wife likes them. So I buy my wife flowers. She likes fresh flowers. I'll tell you what, if I want to get a smile, I mean an honest to goodness from the heart deep down in this part, this general region, if I want to get that smile out of my wife, I'll bring her flowers. Because she loves flowers. They make her smile. I want to make her happy. I want to reassure her of the fact 
that I love her. And I love her enough to buy her flowers. And I know that those flowers aren't going to last forever. So I want her to know that I love her enough that when those flowers are done, it's about time. She was pruning this. She was pruning the last batch last night. So it's time for me to buy more flowers. I buy, and I, and and I want my boys, listen, this is, I know this is extrapolating it out a little bit. I want my sons to know how to treat their, their moms and in, in turn learn how to treat the women in their life. So I'll buy the flowers and I'll give them to the boys to give to their mom. So my boys are learning to make their mom happy and what makes, what will make the woman in their life happy. My point is this, you need to find what, gives your spouse security in your love. You need to find what helps them to understand that you love them and you are committed to them and you need to do that over and over and over again. Because by doing that, you will reassure them that you love them. You will reassure them that you are committed to being faithful. You will reassure them that you choose them every day, over and over and over again. Oh, come on. They know that, Pastor. Good, good grief. We've been married forever. My dad still buys my, mom's, my mom roses on their anniversary. They've been married like 65 years now, something like that. My dad still does special things for my mom. And my mom knows my dad loves her. And my dad knows my mom loves her. Most of us men, if a woman has stayed with us the length of time they have, we know that they love us, right? You stuck, you stuck with me this amount of time. There's got to be something there. Don't ever take it for granted. And reassure them as often as possible that you love them. Tell them so. Show them. Find out what makes them feel secure in your love and show that. Romans 12, verses 9 and 10 say, Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Maybe you're not a gift giver. Well, find another way. Maybe that's not, maybe that's not your thing. Maybe your, your spouse doesn't, does, maybe your wife doesn't like flowers. Well, find what she does like. Maybe your husband, you know, I, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is. But that's your job to find out. If you want to reassure them of your love, you will find out what makes them happy. You will find out what makes them feel inside that you do love them and you do care about them and that you are committed to them. And you'll do that over and over and over again to reassure them that you love them third part that builds this pillar, this is deeply theological, and I hope that it translates well from the Greek. Don't do stupid stuff. Don't do stupid stuff. Because God isn't in your stupid stuff. Gentlemen, don't do stupid stuff. Ladies, don't do stupid stuff. Seriously. God isn't in the middle of that foolishness. Don't tempt fate. Don't 
And I, I don't even understand this part. I, I'd rather, don't flirt with other people. Don't do anything that would challenge the trust of your relationship. Don't do stupid stuff. Don't go to those places on the internet that you're not supposed, that you shouldn't be going to. Don't compare your wife to other women. Gentlemen, that's just stupid. <laughs> that's just stupid. I'm serious, man. Ladies, one of, I'll tell you what, one of the things that ladies shouldn't do is compare your husband to your father. You didn't marry him to be your father. And nobody's going to replace your dad. And don't undermine your spouse. Don't undermine them to other people. Support them. Uplift them. Pray for them. But don't do stupid stuff. Don't do things that are going to cause jealousy. Don't do things that are going to raise questions. I have a, a, a couple policies. I don't give other women rides. Just don't do it. I'll call you an Uber. Wow, that's so narrow-minded. That's so old. Okay. You call it narrow-minded until somebody accuses me of having an affair. And that's what happens. You can think whatever you want. You can have whatever policy you want. I'm a pastor. The only thing I have to offer people is my integrity. And if somebody sees me doing something that undermines that, it could destroy the work I do. So I have to do certain things. I, I make sure that if I get texts from other women or phone calls from other women, that my wife knows. She knows who's texting me. She'll read the texts. I'll show them to her. She does the same thing for me. That's how I found out about this individual. She knows. We don't do stupid. You know what? A foolish thing, I won't say stupid because my wife, a foolish thing Aaron could have done was hide that text, that, those messages from me and not let me read what was written. And it was pretty bad. It was pretty obvious what was trying to be done. That would have been foolish. Ladies, let your husband be the man of your home. Let him be your defender. Let him, let him be proud of you and let him protect you. Gentlemen, let her be, I'll say this in the right way, let her be jealous of your relationship. Not jealous to the point of sin, but let her guard that relationship and make sure that no sweet little thing tries to come in between you and her. Don't do stupid stuff. Because the stupid stuff is, what is, is what's going to break your marriage up. The stupid stuff is what's going to cause friction. The stupid stuff is what's going to cause you to look somewhere else. John 3 verses 19 through 21 say, says, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. The Bible says it's a shame to even speak about things that are done in the darkness. Stupid things are done in the darkness. 
Stupid things are done in hiding. Destructive things to your marriage are done when you're trying to hide them. When you're trying to do something that your spouse can't find out about. That's what's going to make your marriage fail. You want to build faithfulness. You want to show commitment. Don't do stupid stuff. Be open and honest. And the fourth thing that I believe will help us to build commitment and faithfulness in the pillar of personal accountability is to talk about your secrets, your hopes, and dreams, and your hurts. Talk about your secrets, your hopes, and your dreams, and your hurts, and keep them sacred. Listen, I'm not a touchy-feely guy. I'm not a let's talk about our feelings type of person. I'm just, I'm just not that guy. I, I won't sit around and chant mantras with you and get deep into my feelings. That's just not who I am, okay? You, if you're looking for that from me, you're looking for the wrong guy. Maybe go find Martha Stewart or something. But that's just, that's not going to be who I am. But I'll tell you who I do talk about those things with. I'll tell you who knows what my desires in my life are, what my goals in life are. I'll tell you who knows what I want to see done at this church, what I want to see happen in this church. I'll tell you who knows the direction I'm taking this church before anybody else knows. And that's that woman sitting right back there. Go ahead and raise your hand so everybody knows. That's okay. Just make sure we're talking about the right one. Okay? My wife. Before the deacon board knows. Before my assistant pastors know. Before my mentors know. My wife knows. She knows my hopes and my dreams. She knows the desires of my heart. She knows what I want to... She knows when I... She knows what I want to do about retirement. Uh, maybe she doesn't because we don't really talk. I don't, retirement is even on my horizon. I even, we, we kind of talk about it, but she knows, she knows that that's not really a big deal to me. You know? I mean, she knows what's going on in here and she knows what's in here. She knows that when I talk about the Dodgers, it's not a game, that it's life. She knows how deeply, how deep, I, there's not a lot of things I take seriously in life. I take my faith seriously. I take my marriage and my family seriously. And I take the Dodgers seriously. Anything other than that is up for, is fair game. Seriously, it's just, I just don't take a lot of things seriously in life. Um, because I, it, it's, life's too fun to take serious. But there are things I do take seriously. And the things I do the hopes and dreams and the passions of my life I share with my wife. Why? Because I want to build a strong relationship. I love her. She is my number one. She, is, she has my heart. She's the one I want to be with for the rest of my life. When, when the time comes for me to be pushed in a wheelchair, I want her at the controls. I trust her that much. Now, I'm not sure we'll go to the Grand Canyon, It'll be a wild ride. But I, I trust her. And I want her to know that. So I share my hopes and dreams. I share my secrets. I share my hurts. Gentlemen, can I tell you this? Can I be honest with you here? I've cried to my wife before. She'll tell you that. I've cried to my wife. I've cried brokenhearted to my wife before. My two oldest daughters don't care too much for me right now. 
My wife knows that. And I've cried to her about it. I don't get to see my four oldest grandchildren. Because of that, it breaks my heart. I've cried to my wife about that. I'm man enough to let my wife know what hurts me. I'm a godly enough man to know that it's important that my wife understands what's going on in here and what's going on in here. Because if our marriage is going to be strong, if our marriage is going to honor Jesus Christ, if we're then going to be able to minister to this church and reach this community, then this needs to be strong. And she needs to know my hopes and my dreams. And she needs to keep them sacred. And I need to know that about her. Remember, my, some of my favorite books I've ever read were The Lord of the Rings. Love the Lord of the Rings series. And in the movies, uh, it's in the book too, but Gandalf says to Frodo about the ring, the one ring of power, he says, keep it secret, keep it safe. Now, those are the hopes and dreams of our spouses. We need to keep them secret and keep them safe. Listen, your spouse's secrets are not what you use to hold them hostage. They're not what you use to undermine anything about them. You don't use them against anybody, and you don't share them with anybody. You want trust? You want to build trust? You want to build commitment and faithfulness in your marriage? You will keep those secrets, hopes, and dreams right where they need to be. Don't undermine them with other people. Proverbs eleven thirteen says, a gossip goes around revealing a secret, but a trustworthy person keeps a confidence. Your spouse should be able to trust that you won't go around revealing stuff that they've trusted you with. They should be able to trust that you will protect their privacy. Man, that's, that's just... That's just relationship 101. Just building a strong marriage, a godly marriage. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. That's all we're going to cover this morning. We'll continue on this second pillar next week, talking about how to build strong commitment, uh, how, to, how to, to build on the pillar of personal uh, accountability. But I hope that it's given you enough to think about this week and maybe challenge you to strengthen your marriage. You know, not always, we're, we're not always in crisis, right? Sometimes we just need a shot in the arm. Sometimes you just need a booster shot. They're talking about the, the COVID vaccine. You might need a booster shot. Well, that's all sometimes, that's all what the, the, the teachings for the word are. It's just that booster shot to remind us what we need, to remind us what we should be doing. And uh, hopefully by the grace of God, something was given to you this morning that will challenge you to be stronger in your marriage. Thanks for being here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being here today. Lord, I thank you for so many between the two services, Lord. It's just in this, in this time in history, Lord, to see so many people come out uh, is just a real blessing, Father. I'm so thankful for that. Lord, I pray that as we've looked in your word, as we've spent time pray, praising you and worshiping, and as we've looked at your word, God, I, I pray that we will all grab hold of something that will that will guide us and direct us in the right way, that will help us to strengthen our marriages and be the kind of people you want us to be. Lord, bless us as we go from here today. May we go forward as worshipers, honoring you, serving you. In your name we pray, amen.